your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Exceptional people are rising to the challenge. Music by Chris Knoll, chrisknoll.com, C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E. My website, yourpositiveimprint.com, and of course, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram or connect with me on LinkedIn. Listen to my podcast from any podcast platform, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean, or of course, your favorite podcast platform. Your Positive Imprint, what's your PI? Do not judge by appearance. A rich heart may be under a poor coat. A Scottish proverb. What is it that you observe when you are on a walk or shopping? Do you think about the people whom you observe? What comes to your mind and through your own soul? Well, Danny Brown of Scotland is inspired by those around him. But not his friends and colleagues alone, but by those he observes or meets through eye contact, or a friendly head nod. Part of being a proud Scot is to listen to the silence, be still, and let your soul catch up. His work for those in need, nonprofits, is globally known, and his famous quote resonates worldwide. And I absolutely love this quote. We forget human connections offline. His soul was touched by a woman he observed eating ice cream. Danny Brown, I'm so anxious to hear your story and, of course, your positive imprints. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Catherine. And that's quite the intro. You have that down pat. Whenever I do a podcast, I have to do like an intro 10 or 20 times and then maybe get one snippet. Um, so I was super impressed listening to you there. Oh, well, it's it's about you. And, and I love, I love featuring people like you and and having you share your stories and of course positive imprints and inspiring others so that they can go out and do the same. So how are you today there? I am good thank you. I'm in the Muskoka area of Canada, Ontario, Canada. So we get a lot of snow and cold which is one of the reasons we moved here to get that proper winter. Let's hear a little bit more about you. I was on your podcast and that's how I met you and you also unbeknownst to me, work for Captivate FM, Mark Asquith's company, which is a podcast host. That's correct. We host the audio files, but also help you distribute the show, promote it, etc. for that. Yeah. Mark speaks highly of you as well. I told um, him when you were on my show, um, I, I spoke to him um, about it and he says, oh yeah, Catherine's awesome. Catherine's great people. So he, you've got a big fan there. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, he and I have a very good working relationship and I absolutely love his input. I so much appreciate him. And I appreciate you and that you're on the team. So I think that people would love to hear a little bit about the culture of Scotland. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Scotland's a weird place. Um, I'm sure like any country <laughs> in the world, it's, it's very much broken down into areas. So you have the lowlands, which is the, the border area, you know, border on England. Uh, you have the midlands, 
which is where I'm kind of from, from Edinburgh. And then you have the Highlands, so you get up into the likes of Inverness, Skye, and all the islands beyond that, uh, Isla, where they make amazing whiskey, single malt whiskey. Um, and each each section has its own little subsection. So you have in Midlands, you've got Edinburgh, but you've also got Glasgow, and there's a big sort of unspoken of rivalry there between which is the, the true capital of Scotland, yeah. officially Edinburgh. But most people think it's Glasgow, um, so it's, it's interesting. And then I lived in the borders for about 10 years. My parents moved down to the the borders when I was 11, 12 year old. And I sort of went to high school there and sort of grew, went for my teenage years uh, there before I left Scotland at about 2021 20, and moved to England to, to work, etc. What are some of the things that you absolutely love about being a Scot? Um, I th- <laughs> So, so the funny thing is, I obviously have a Scottish accent, but I find it's a very yeah. soft accent <laughs> compared to a lot of accents that you can hear. And I certainly had a stronger accent when I was younger in Edinburgh. The, the Edinburgh and the Glaswegian accent is very similar as you're growing up. Glaswegian is stronger. It's more guttural, if you like. But as you're growing up as a kid in Edinburgh, and depending on which part of Edinburgh you live in, it can also be pretty strong. But I found it's gotten softer over the years because... I've been around in different countries and different places and, and you you kind of adapt so people people can understand what you're saying. Um, but I think that's one of the bonuses of being Scottish is it seemingly is one of the most trusted accents globally. So when you hear people speaking and you hear a Scottish accent, it's trustworthy. It's like the Irish, uh, I think it's trustworthy. So there's various accents across the world and it also helps spark up conversation because people say, oh, where are you from? So it's, it's, a, it's a good icebreaker. It, it is an icebreaker. And that's the joy of culture and the differences about our countries, our cultures, ourselves, that is, is so absolutely wonderful. And something to be said for educating others as well in acceptance of each other. We're going to get started unless you have anything else you wanted to share about Scotland. Uh, no, it's funny you mentioned acceptance, though, because one of the reasons I moved from Scotland to England at the time was I was finding that the environment around me was becoming very toxic, very racist against England, of all places. There was a lot of nationalism coming to the Scottish, you know, the, the mindset because of what had been happening during the Margaret Thatcher years and 70s and 80s in the UK and how that impacted Scotland with stuff like the poll tax, etc. So... Long story short, it it was becoming a very toxic place, a toxic environment, and I couldn't buy into that. It it didn't feel right. And so that was one of the reasons I moved up. I I think it's so fitting because I used that Scottish proverb in the beginning, do not judge by appearance. A rich heart may be under a poor coat. Danny Brown left Scotland and eventually made his way to his new home in Canada. While visiting Niagara Falls with his wife, Danny noticed a woman eating an ice cream cone in a cafe. He watched her, and even after leaving the cafe, he could not get her off his mind. This one observation changed his life forever. On my, my 30th birthday, my wife um, took me to Niagara Falls. I moved to Canada when I was 37. It was an amazing weekend. We you know, did all the touristy things. We went under the waterfall. Everything was amazing. Uh, and so it was just on the last day. We were having some breakfast. I think we'd gone to a diner for some late breakfast in preparation for coming back home. And we were just sat there. 
uh, talking away and Dinah was pretty busy. And I noticed that an old lady, to me maybe at the time, she was older or looked older. But she came in uh, and she sat down and got a lot of coffee and she had an ice cream. Um, and she was just sat there all by her own. For whatever reason, it just it, it caught my eye that of all the hustle and bustle, there was this lady eating the ice cream on her own. I'd like to think of myself as someone that that you mentioned earlier about you know connecting with people and and sparking up conversation etc or getting to know people, but at that time I didn't I I didn't go over to say hi you know how's life etc and it bugged me all the way home it bugged me that nothing was said and I I wondered about the story of this lady sitting on her own in a packed dining area if you like or a packed uh, restaurant so. I, I spoke to my wife about it, and I think the, the thing that really bugged me about not initiating any conversation, I'm one of these people who like to sit down on a park bench in a, a wide open park in the summer and just people watch and watch them go by and make up, I don't know if you've ever done it, but make up little stories about their lives. Complete balderdash. And so I was thinking about this lady afterwards, and I was thinking, well, maybe she was in there because possibly her husband had just passed, or maybe it's a place that has certain memories for her. A hundred other reasons that she was there on her own. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I got frustrated that I hadn't gone across. Because at that time, I was really into blogging. And my blog was very much about the community, like the online community. We should all be connected and, and we should all welcome each other. But I didn't do that for this this lady. So for whatever reason, I was thinking about that. And I, I was, I, I'd been given to various charities at that time. I know a lot of people in the nonprofit tra- uh, charity space. Um, but it struck me that it was easy for me to do something like give, but that's a, a single transaction. There's no follow-on. There's no tangible effort that you're putting in. You, you could automate it from your bank account and never know where the money's gone or who's benefiting from it. So I think there was a whole bunch of things came together that that just tied in at the right time. And I thought, you know what? I've got, at the time, I had a fairly decent presence on social media. I was in the the fortunate position of having a, a voice and, and a platform where I could sort of influence other people, if you like, for want of a better word or description. So speaking to my nonprofit friends, I was just curious what their biggest problem was when it came to the nonprofit world. And the biggest problem was getting donations because of all the admin side and how difficult it was to get people to donate because of the, the red tape and the, the loops that you had to go through. And, and how to reach these people because traditionally at that time, uh, this was back in the very early days of social media. Traditionally, people would bang on the door or stand on street corners or down in shopping plazas and basically rattle a tin trying to you know, collect donations. And and that does so much. But um, with social media and uh, the opportunities that had, there was a huge opportunity to cut out a lot of that and really connect the potential donor with the organization and really help the organization get their story across in a really human way that touches more than just 50 people in a shopping plaza or the odd person walking down the street. So so that's where that really came about. And and as I thought more about it, that's where the the uh, 12 for 12K project came about back in late 2008 and then launched in 2009. The lady eating the ice cream cone will never know the positive imprint she instilled in Danny that day. Danny worked hard and became known as the one man who used social media to raise $91,000 for charities around the world. 
That's 12 for 12. I actually, the, the journalist that wrote the, the piece, I actually reached out because the, the article title I thought was misleading because it was very much a team. Yes, I, I, I kicked off the project and I was the, the figurehead, if you like, but it was very much a team. There was a core team of us of eight people that were all volunteers and every single person had their own strength. So I had John Hayden, who sadly passed from cancer a couple of years back. Oh. He was my go-to for my nonprofit expertise. He's amazing. And John Hayden's hugely respected in the nonprofit world. Amazing guy. Suze Murphy over in Ottawa, she did all the, the videos with Cheryl Game. And Rachel Kay, he, she did all the, the PR and communications. So there was a huge team that that did this. And then you had the the supporters themselves. And what I liked about the 12 for 12K project is you could donate as little or as much as you wanted. There was no minimal effort. We wanted buy-in to be easy. And if you couldn't donate because you were going under your own hard times, just help. Be a, a, a blogger, a blog partner. Share the charities on social media. Get your social media and online community involved. So there was a huge team and community behind it. And I felt the as much as that article really helped um, focus attention on the project i thought it was a bit disingenuous to to the rest of the team so unfortunately that title was still there but it, it was very much a team effort i love that you explained it i so appreciate that you're sharing and that you are inspiring others to also see that view because positive imprints come from every authentic person so could you for listeners explain the 12 for 12k yeah, for sure. The 12 for 12K project, the idea was to create an ongoing uh, non-profit or charitable initiative over the course of 12 months. And we'd pick 12 charities with the goal of raising $12,000 for each charity. So you got your 12 charities, 12 months, $12,000. So that's kind of the 12 for 12K idea. And the idea behind it is to purely raise donations and raise awareness using social media. Having a, a core website, so the 12 for 12K website, where everything sort of came into and we, we shared what the new charities were, how to support, how to get involved on a local level, etc. And then we used a, a little platform called Chipping, which I don't think is around anymore, but it was really effective at the time. Chipping is a like a payment gateway for uh, nonprofits, if you like, that you could essentially embed on your website and people could use that with either credit card or PayPal to make donations to the charity. And the great thing with chipping is it allowed you to have a running total of how much you'd raised that month for that charity, but everything went straight to the charity's financial income, if you like. So there was no middleman, there was no admin from our side. It made it really simple. And the fact that you could see how much was raised was a, a great visual cue for us to to try raise more awareness, to get more donations or or whatever for that particular month. So it was it was cool to just use social media and we created a little sort of frame for your social media avatars that mentioned 12 for 12k and that got a lot of buzz online people were asking what it was and once they started asking you could explain they got real interested and what to know how they could help so because social media was so nascent at that time i think it was done at the right time i don't think something like that today with all the different platforms and all the different ways you can do stuff i don't think it would have had the same effect as something that was at the early days and and probably one of the first sort of non-profit initiatives to solely use social media. So I think we were more fortunate in the timing and the limited platforms that were available at that time as well, I think. 
we learned a lot of mistakes going along. We'd never done it before. Like I mentioned, we had John, who was our nonprofit expert, but even John had limitations as to, you know, knowledge for certain areas or certain nonprofits. So we learned by mistakes as well and how we approached fundraising campaigns, how we approached promoting, how we approached creating media, how we approached taking donations. And so there was a lot of things that I think people learn from. I know John heard from nonprofit organizations that had watched the 12 for 12K project and had adapted some of our stuff. So for example, for the No Kid Hungry, I think it's No Kid Hungry uh, campaign in the US, um, we tweeted nonstop. We got a, a, a gentleman in Canada called Scott Stratton who tweeted nonstop for 12 hours. I uh, got a lot of his connections to donate prizes like iPods and you know video cameras and stuff. It was amazing what he did. And, and you start to see more Twitter phones after that, that event, that 12 hour event raised about $15,000 for the No Kid Hungry charity in one day. So it was, it was crazy. It was amazing. So I, I know, um, speaking to people that it certainly helped pave the way for some, I think some had already been thinking about it anyway, and they maybe learned from our mistakes and made it, made it better with their own stuff. But it was cool to see. I mean, 12 for 12K was inspired by a wonderful woman called Stacy in the US. Uh, I forget her surname, unfortunately. It's been a while since uh, we've connected. Um, but she had an online platform purely using Twitter that raised uh, awareness for various nonprofit and organizations. But she was more solely dedicated to Africa and uh, the kids growing up in Africa that needed schools and libraries and buildings and fresh water, etc. I saw that and I got inspired. So I think everybody gets pulled something from somewhere. Tweetsgiving.org was the organization. It was all built around the Thanksgiving month of November in the U.S. We all have something in our souls that lights a spark to become motivated. Sometimes that inspiration comes from our experiences. And those experiences may be positive in nature, but we also learn from our struggles or even struggles of those around us. One of Danny's many positive imprints was building a friendship bench for his community. Yeah, so the, the friendship bench came about through uh, the personal tra uh, tragedy of a close friend, Sam Fiorella, and he lost his son to depression. He was 19 year old and he took his own life in 2014, I think. And, and nobody knew that he was depressed. He was a bright, bubbly, outgoing person. He was getting great grades at college. Everybody spoke highly of him and he seemed very happy. But like a lot of people that suffer from depression, it was eating away at him inside and he didn't publicly acknowledge it. So unfortunately, he, he took his own life. So that obviously that had a huge impact on Sam and his family. And when at that funeral of Lucas, who was a young, the young uh, kid that took his life, other kids that went to university with Lucas went up to Sam and his wife to tell them how Lucas had reached out in the corridors of university or whatever. There was some, like almost whether it was an empath or something, but he had a, some innate knowledge that something was wrong with this person. So he'd reach out, he'd just say, hello, uh, how are you doing? You know, and just talk about anything. And through that, he'd learn that they're suffering from depression or thinking about taking their own lives. And so he'd stay with them. He'd he, he'd talk to them. He'd encourage them to get help and he'd get help. And so at Lucas's funeral, a lot of these kids from the university oh they went gosh, to came up wow. and told Sam this. And this this was amazing to hear because A, nobody knew that Lucas was suffering, but B, to know that he'd himself saved a bunch of lives through the singular action of just saying hello 
was incredibly inspiring to hear. So we wanted to to continue that legacy. So what we did is we we came up with the idea of the friendship bench. And this would be a bright yellow bench that sits on campus as a focal point to remind you to speak about your mental health and that it's okay to not be okay and that you're not alone. There are people here that are going through the same things as you or can help you, you know, not overcome, but but deal with what you're going through better and, and understand that it's natural and this is how you can cope and these are the daily things you can do, etc. So the, the Friendship Bench was born and it wasn't meant to be a bench where you sit to say, I'm suffering from mental health issues. We didn't want to make it a focal point that could lead to potential bullying or people being sarcastic. Oh, look, someone's sitting there, they're not right in the head or whatever. We don't want to make it like that. It just had to be a focal point to say, there's people on campus that can help. Uh, all you need to do, come back to Locus's approaches, say hello. And that's the whole campaign. We built a campaign out of it called Yellow is for Hello. So if you see a yellow bench, you know it's okay to say hello and either open up yourself or just check in on your roommate, check in on your classmates, check in on your, your friends on other campuses and just ask them how they're doing. Let's spark a conversation about mental health and mental health issues amongst the youth. Because in Canada, teenage suicide is the second leading cause of death amongst 18 to 25 year olds. And it's, it's crazy. It's, it's scary, the numbers. Um, so this is where we, we sort of, we built the, the friendship bench uh, organization and the, the impact it's had has been amazing. There's about on average, it's about an, an 18% increase on, so on campuses that have the yellow bench installed, there's about an 18% increase in kids coming forward and speaking to someone It could be a health counselor, it could be the teacher, the friend, but there's been that rise. We've also uh, seen uh, really cool uh, mental wellness features being installed on these campuses to complement what they already have. And it's just, again, it's a way to continue the conversation and make sure that nobody ever feels uh, alone, you know, especially college and university, which can be a stressful time as it is without life that we have to deal with at the moment as well. And there is a lot of life that we are dealing with. So has the Friendship Bench gone global? So are, are other universities or even other organizations across the world putting up these yellow benches? So at the moment, it's just Canada only. Um, it's a, Again, it's a purely volunteer-driven organization. There's no funding behind it or anything. We do it on top of our, our normal day jobs. So it's purely Canada-based, but we do offer templates We've got a couple of people in the, the U.S. that have taken a template and they're they're doing similar in the U.S. where they're creating a program around it. And it may not be the bench. It may be like um, one of the things that we saw, which was really cool in some of the campuses, was having a yellow wall. And on this yellow wall, you would put post-it notes or stickers or whatever of positive messages. So it could be, you know, you're not alone. And again, it's just a visual focal point that really lets people know, you know, I'm not alone. So we're seeing that adapted at some colleges and campuses outside of Canada. We'd love to be global. Realistically speaking, we'll probably stick, as far as this organization goes anyway, right, right. we'll probably stick with you know Canada, but we're more than happy to advise, if you like, or, or help colleges outside of Canada um, get a similar program set up for their, their campus. That's one of the positive things about getting messages out via podcasts. Your message is there. There's 
people all over the world who work at universities, maybe that is something that will spark their soul, mm. their interest, and bring about their own friendship bench. It's providing an outlet, and that's something that has been missing, that is still missing, because we don't know how to target these folks because they are so depressed inside and we don't know it. Thank you so much for sharing that and for taking the steps with a team to move forward with the friendship bench. And yeah. you don't have to talk about this, Danny, but I know that you could have been a statistic. No, that's true. Yeah, I, I um, attempted to take my own life when I was 19. So the three co-founders of the Friendship Bench, there's Sam who lost his son, there's myself, and then there's Robert who also attempted to take his life at 19. So yeah, I, I did that at 19. Thankfully, my sister found me, got me to the hospital, and, and here I am today. Um, Yay! <laughs> That's... Yeah, so yeah, it took me a long time to be public about that. I, I did a blog post, I think, 10 years ago, maybe. Uh, for a friend of mine in the US, Sarah Robinson, who's got a, I think she's still got the blog, um, but at the time she had a blog or a website that was about um, positive stories of redemption. I'm sure I gave the description wrong. So Sarah, if you're listening to this, I do apologize. <laughs> um, we got talking and, and this came out and she asked me to share that. And it got such a huge reception where people opened up and talked about their own struggles that they'd gone through or were going through. And I think that's when it it made me realize that, you know what, holding it inside doesn't help anybody. And it certainly doesn't help you because you've got this like guilty, dirty secret, if you like. Um, and that, again, that's the goal with the friendship bench to show that, you know, there is absolutely no shame in not feeling okay. And if you need somebody to talk to, one of the things I like, um, you mentioned podcasts, Catherine. One of the things I like about today's world is we do have access to various medias, platforms, and technology. Uh, so one of the cool things that happens when you go to the Friendship Bench website, for example, whether you're on your desktop or your, your smartphone, is it'll ping, it'll ask you if, you if we can have your IP, like your address, what location you're at. Um, uh, so then what it'll do is there's a, an interactive map on the website. And if you allow access to your IP, we'll ping where you are on the map and we'll bring up the nearest resources for you. They could be health clinics, they could be on-campus support team, etc. So it's a cool way to make it anonymous because all we're seeing is your IP. We're not seeing your details, your name, your demographic, your gender or anything. Just purely an IP. But it's a quick way to get help without even need to, needing to ask anybody. It's just, okay, I, I can now go to this clinic. I can now go to this campus resource. Just having technology available, but but being willing to speak about something that happened to yourself. Things happen in our lives where we could be having a very good day today and then tomorrow a really bad day. And our whole body, our chemical balances changes. And that changes, you know, messages to the brain and changes the way we think. And so those are times when we do need someone to talk to, but also most definitely people that are going through something really horrific in their life. You know, and doctors always ask when you go in and, and you've had this big change in your, your blood pressure and, and your anxiety levels are up and they, what is their first question? Have you had anything stressful take place in your life lately that could cause these changes? So uh, the friendship branch obviously is something that is needed worldwide. And 
I commend you and your team for putting it together. And you might want to mention to Sam that there is an organization, Alliance of Hope, which is for survivors of suicide. He's a survivor of a family suicide. I can never understand what that would be like for them. And to your point, I think it needs people in the same situation that can actually have true empathy as opposed to the generic empathy, for want of a better word, um, where you're trying to say your best, you're trying to say the right things, but it doesn't matter. I know Sam mentioned it in a blog post that he did about the aftermath of losing a child and, and everybody wants to say the right things. The organization sounds amazing for sure. Danny continues his positive imprints with many different nonprofit organizations. He cannot even attempt to discuss all of them, but here is one more. The second charity I think that we got involved with, with the 12 for 12K project, um, was one that dealt with uh, child abuse. And it was about providing support and resources and shelter to kids that have been sexually uh, abused or physically abused and sometimes both. As a human being, any kind of abuse is, is bad, but I think there's a, a raw emotional connection of its children or animals because essentially they're helpless or innocent mm -hmm. and they don't have a clue what's going on animals i think have a better clue than they know when they're getting abused so so it really connected it happens in our backyard it happens in our streets it happens in our countries it, it, it's an awful horrible thing obviously you've got organizations like uh baca b-a-c-a which is bikers against child abuse amazing organization and they're essentially for want of a better description hell's angel bikers all the gear all the dress up all the bikes etc um and they go in and they help families or help moms get kids out there getting abused and sexual abused they also form a line of protection when these cases come to court so you can imagine being the abuser coming to court and you've got 20 or 30 hairy heavy set dudes in leathers looking angry as hell just staring you down uh, and it's a, a way to provide support and comfort and strength to the the victim and show them you know what we've got your back your dad or your mom because obviously sometimes it can come from both fronts but we've got your back your parents can't hurt you anymore not in here not outside um and now with two kids of my own obviously i'm very wary of of stuff that can happen I was getting a good visual of those bikers, and I certainly commend BACA, Bikers Against Child Abuse. So thank you for sharing that. So much appreciated. So take the time to give us the name of the podcast, which is basically sharing the voice of us podcasters behind the scenes in, in our mm -hmm. lives. Podcaster stories where I get to meet, you know, amazing folks like yourself that that share your personal stories as well as your podcasting journey, which has been really, you know, eye-opening for me from as a podcaster, getting to know the stuff that you do as a, as a podcaster, but getting to know all your stories. I'm, I'm sure I'll have you back on the show to continue because there's a lot more, to, a lot more to talk about on top of the stuff we already spoke about in the, the initial episode. Yeah, and it was fun. And I, I do enjoy your, your show because, you know, podcasters, we we hear their voice, and but we don't know much about them. I'm one of them. I'll get 
emails from my listeners. What can we learn about you? It's nice to be able to share a piece of of our own lives because it, it provides more of a personal aspect for the listeners. I was on, I think it was season two, episode seven. And I, I thank you again for doing that podcast, uh, Podcaster Stories. And where can listeners find you? If you want to check out the podcast that, that Catherine was on and other uh, guests, you can go to podcasterstories.com. And I'm online at uh, Twitter, at Twitter, like forward slash username, Danny Brown CA. Well, Danny, is there anything that you are wanting to share that we haven't talked about? Um, it's like a job interview, right? You're, you're thinking, <laughs> I've been asked, um, is there anything else you want to ask about the company or anything? And, you know, I'll get back to you in three or four days. I'm sure I'll, I'll think of something. <laughs> no, it's been really enjoyable. And, and, and what I like about your format is it's, it's, it's just really easy gone and like two friends conversing, um, which, which I really enjoy. And, and I, I feel that's a nice relaxed way to talk and, you know, share stories, uh, and stuff. Um, I guess the, the only thing maybe would be if anybody's getting married or has a special event or a birthday and you need someone, you, you don't need to lay out a whole bunch of money on like a band or a DJ or whatever. If you want someone that can play any tune using a pencil and just their teeth, give me a shout and I'll be there. Whoa. <laughs> there you go. I'll do a Zoom call in and I'll, I'll do the wedding dance or whatever using my uh, H2 lead pencil. Oh my gosh, that is so interesting. <laughs> so are you able to play anything for us now? Um, I do have a pen. I got a pen, I guess, and this might work. Uh, what? It has to be something I know, obviously, but uh, what about tune? Let's have a think. So what are the copyright laws on this? <laughs> I know. Well, it's, it's fair use if it's only 10 seconds. Um, how about just like a, a silly thing like, um, you know, like that, that kind of music where like a little cartoon guys chasing someone really fast right. or whatever okay i'm ready let's try and not bump the microphone go <laughs> yeah. or something like that yeah. <laughs> oh my that came through or not <laughs> That's so interesting. I have no idea where I even land that. <laughs> that I've been doing that for years. I, I don't know. Maybe I was just bored one day tapping a pencil. Geometry class. Probably, right? <laughs> Probably. But hey, if the podcast doesn't work out, I can always fall back on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, and, and thank you for your comments about my own podcast. I, I do like the, the very raw conversation and nothing scripted. So... Yeah, thank you for no, that. No, for sure. Have... Yeah. And again, thank you for for all that you do with Captivate FM and, and of course, Mark Askwith. So what inspiring words do you want to end as you inspire the listeners? Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna use a quote my granddad said. Um it's not a quote as such, it was just my, my granddad was my pretty much my all time hero. Um, and I think grandads get away with a lot of stuff or grandparents get a lot away with a lot of stuff because they can do things 
that parents would allow, allow kids to do. They're like the little devil on your shoulder because they know <laughs> the kid comes back to the parent afterwards. Um, but my grand was really supportive of a lot of things that I wanted to do as a kid and stuff. Um, and he used to come up with like, the weirdest sayings. You just, you'd be talking away and he'd say something that would just take you back. But you think backwards and, and you think, you know what, that actually made sense. Maybe not at the time, but it made sense. But it, there was something he said and I don't know what the reason was behind it, but he just said, this is why you should always stand up before you flush. Which I, at the time, it was, it was funny. Uh, I just thought, that's a ridiculous thing. Of course you should stand up before you flush. <laughs> and, uh, cause, but then you, you sort of think, I mean, this this thing sort of come back to me a lot over the years for different situations. And it's I, I think it's a simple saying. It's obviously a very simple saying. But I think it has a deeper meaning where, you know, you might think you're in control, but unless you take action, a whole bunch of mess is going to happen. So it's up to you to take that action to either prevent that mess or at least mitigate some of the fallout. And I, I, re- I realize that fallout when we're speaking about toilets and flushing might not be the kind of visual <laughs> you want at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I, it's just something that's always stuck with me. And I've used it in various blog posts I've used. I've got a, a, a picture somewhere that I printed out and framed and just put that up. So it's just some of this stuck and, and I think it can be used in a, a multitude of environments and surroundings. So I guess that would be always stand up before you flush. Danny Brown, always stand up before you flush. You have been standing up for organizations and you've been standing up for people who are not online. Danny Brown, thank you so much for your positive imprints and what you're doing globally. Thank you, Catherine. It's been a pleasure. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? <laughs>